0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, March 21st, 2017. We're going to play a little game today of check the referent. <laughs> I invented it all by myself, you know. <laughs> I'll give you details in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and uh, we take the time to actually open up God's Word to test and see uh, if what the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the word of God to test and see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's word says. And uh, if you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, then you are quite familiar with the fact that the steady diet being presented to evangelicals uh, by the uh, the aforementioned group is, um, well, anything but sound. It's anything but biblical. It's not even close to what God's Word says. And uh, And so the idea here is we want to equip you. We want to teach you how to check to see if what they're saying is true how do you know how to rightly understand god's word it's actually not all that hard um, a lot of it has to do with just basic grammar i know it just seems you know there's nouns there's verbs there's subordinate clauses and things like that and you know and language you know when we use words we refer to something And, uh, you know, for instance, you know, if I were to say, you know, you know, think of a dog in your mind and you think, all right, I got a dog worked out in my mind. And, and I said, now I, in fact, go ahead and do this. Just think of any dog, any dog you want to at all. And uh, so I'm thinking of a dog myself. And so let let's kind of compare notes. So the dog. I'm referring to is, uh, well, he's medium size build, and you'll notice it's a male, not a female. And uh, he's a mix between a, a German Shepherd and a Black Lab. And you're thinking, well, that's not the dog I was thinking about. And i right, exactly. You think you maybe have thought of a little white dog or, you know, maybe a Chihuahua or a pug or something like that. And, and so the idea here is it's important to pay attention also when you're – you know, understanding scripture, you need to pay attention to what are called reference. What is being referred to? Yeah, it's kind of important. So when we talk about Jesus... Whom are we referring to? There's a lot of pe- there's a lot of ideas regarding Jesus, but the thing is, is that the real Jesus has done particular things, would have us believe certain things, and do certain things. And so, if you use Jesus's name, and by the way, Jesus himself warns in the Olivet Discourse that there would be false teachers, false prophets, and false Christ who would come in His name, teach things in His name that He is not authorized for them to be teaching. And so the question is you know is the Jesus you believe in the Jesus that says you know you need to sow a seed into a televangelist ministry in order to receive a hundredfold blessing so that you can be a pro- you can be uh prosperous and have prosperity so that you can be a blessing yeah no that's not even the real Jesus that's Totally different Jesus. So the idea here is that when we use language, references are important. And so paying attention to the grammar is important. And then there's this other little thing. Oftentimes, Scripture interprets Scripture. It does. And so the question is, you know, if if you're not sure what a text is meaning or referring to, you look for the cross-references. In fact, if you have a good study Bible, um, a good study Bible it, you know, is going to be worth its weight in gold with a good cross-reference system so that you can see how the Bible works together. Think of those cross-references as hyperlinks so that you can go and take a look at other passages to shed light on what God's Word says. So you kind of got the basic idea here. So let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to to start off easy, work up in complexity on these references. And so we're going to have two segments that we're going to do today. We're going to begin uh, with a segment, you know, I don't even know what to call this guy. He's kind of like a, a... a uh, seeker-driven, charismatic, you know, fill-in preacher, you know. So, <laughs> do, I, do I even have a category for that? So we'll, we'll come up with some update music for that. And uh, we'll uh, do a segment where we're going to be listening to a fellow by the name of Troy Maxwell. He recently, uh, you know, did a fill-in sermon over at uh, Juergen uh C3 Church in San Diego. And the name of it is New Anointing, New Anointing. And uh, we're going to listen to, I mean, there's some things that he says leading up into a sermon. You sit there and scratch your head and go, what? What? Is this any way for, you know, a, a Christian teacher to be talking from a pulpit? Or, I'm sorry, stage? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're going to uh, listen to a fellow we've never reviewed before. But, man, is this really slick. Um, it's slick because so much of what he's saying is actually correct but the next piece of it it shows a lack of attention to how scripture interprets scripture we're going to listen to Colin Die uh and uh, the name of the uh of his uh church is Kensington Temple and we're going to listen to uh you know part of a message titled possessing your inheritance don't lose the plot and I'm going to make the argument that, whoops, Colin die, he missed the plot. Uh, but yeah, when Scripture talks about you know we as Christians have an inheritance, what is it referring to? Think about that, and uh, and so even the typology will help us out there. But uh, he missed that. And then in hour two, we're going to head to uh, Jürgen Matthias the C3 Church and listen to a Jürgen Matthias uh sermon titled The U Effect. Mm-hmm. And it's uh it, the the opening text that he's preaching from is Matthew chapter nine, the uh, healing of the paralytic who was lowered through the roof. And not paying attention to the reference, missing the point of you know not paying attention to how language works, he ends up engaging in eisegesis and then missing the whole plot of the text itself easy to do if you're not paying attention to the grammar grammar matters so that will be today's episode of fighting for the faith so i strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable and uh, since we're beginning with troy maxwell and i'm not even sure what category to put him under let's do this
1: oh it really doesn't matter what i do what i do as long as i
2: do it with a flair What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a
3: fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere.
1: For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair.
0: Yeah, that's right. Doesn't matter what I say or what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. So we're heading over to C3 Church, and we're going to be listening to uh pastor Troy Maxwell who uh, filled in for uh Jurgen Matthias did a you know a, a substitute teacher sermon kind of thing and we're going to listen to his opening remarks and the name of the message is a new anointing and uh see if we can note where he jumps the tracks in this thing and yeah I know he jumps he's not even on the tracks in the opening statement cuz he says some stuff like dude you 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 don't talk this way as a Christian pastor or a teacher and yeah it's just head-bangingly awful but without any further ado here is uh, troy maxwell here we go
4: i said this this morning at the um at the north campus um you know um i met them i imagine it was about eight years ago is what i'm guessing because that's how old zoe was i mean zoe was just born when we first met and he's talking about Jurgen and his wife San antonio texas And they uh, came into our life at a point for me, just for me personally, that I was in a moment of tension in regards to the expression of the Holy Spirit in our church. Our church at that time was uh, about seven years old. And when I left my, my city in Richmond where I grew up and then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to plant our church... Um, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, loved the Holy Spirit. However, the way in which he was expressed in the church I was at, I knew that wasn't the way that God had called me to do what he wanted me to do in Charlotte. And so it was it was a little challenging if I just be vulnerable for a second. And let me just say this before I say what I'm going to say about them. You can tell a lot about your destiny by the people who God brings into your life. You really can.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. Do you have a biblical text for that?
4: The, the the other side of that is true, too. You can also tell a lot about your destiny, by who's leaving your life. Right?
0: All right, we can go home. Let's go home. Now. Yeah, what's the point of having a Bible if you're just going to make your own theology based on your so-called experiences?
4: But God brought them into my life. We sat across the table, Pastor Jurgen and I, and we got to be friends. I came uh, to... San Diego, just to hang out. I just wanted to learn from them and just kind of get a feel for who they were and what they were doing here. We didn't know each other from Adam. Other than that, I came and we became really close friends. And one of the things that I just want you to know that you carry is you carry a breakthrough for people who are struggling in the tension of where they need to go from here to there.
0: You really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So the people there at C3 San Diego, they, they carry a, an anointing. Yeah. Yeah, if you just go to any old regular church, yeah, your church doesn't probably carry an anointing like that. Dude, Um, and it's not just your leadership,
4: although your leadership determines the strength of that breakthrough anointing on your life. What? This is important for for many of you in this room that are... Why would it be important for anybody? This isn't even taught in
0: Scripture. Where
4: are you getting this? Fringes right now. You're kind of on the fringe of, should I really make a commitment to this church? Should I really get connected? And if you're kind of a new person, tonight's your first night here, um, you're in the right place because you need a breakthrough. And this church carries for the world internationally that
0: kind of anointing. And so Right. They carry the international breakthrough anointing, right? So if you're... Uh- you're not from the United States, and you need a, a breakthrough anointing or a breakthrough. Don't worry. C3 San Diego carries an international breakthrough anointing just for you. Yeah.
4: So thank you, Pastor Leanne, and thank you, Pastor Jurgen, whichever way north is. Come on. Give your pastors a good hand. They're awesome. <laughs> Slap three people a high five. Say you look extremely cute tonight. If you're not married, maybe even get their number.
0: Yeah, this is the part where you sit there and go, what? will tell you a funny story. First time
4: I ever preached here, um, I pastor a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the first time I ever preached here, y'all are probably the prettiest church I've ever been to in my entire life. I mean, you can't get much cuter than Hammer. I mean, the guy's cute. I mean, if I went that way, he'd probably be the guy that I would go that way for.
0: Uh, really? R- really. So if you ever were experiencing sinful homosexual attractions, that'd be the guy you would be sinfully homosexually attracted to.
4: Seriously? Saying. He's cute. I'm not going that way, but I'm just saying. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm very, very f- you know, strong in my manliness. So I can say
0: that, um, right? This is no way for a Christian pastor to be speaking. It's mutual. I know. I know, Hammer. I feel you, man.
4: Um, just don't hug me that long next time. That just made me a little awkward. <laughs> I forgot, totally forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? Oh, I know. I was talking about how pretty you are because you are very attractive. So here's what I did. I was so dumb. I went back to my church and I said, I'm just telling you, I went to this church in San Diego and they are gorgeous. I just wish you would be as pretty as them. You know, we had an incredible Gideon's revival, about 50 people left that day. It was awesome. 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 (laughs)
0: Isn't that terrible? I love this church. Yeah, what you're saying is terrible and inappropriate, and God's Word actually does not permit you to be speaking this way as a Christian, yet alone a pastor.
4: Uh, Hey, let me show you a picture of my family. Some of you don't know me, um, but this is really like my second home. I love this place. This is my family. This is my son, Colby. He's uh, 19 years old. Um, I'm so proud of him. I don't know how my kids turned out so good. I really don't. Uh, We just, just the grace of God. He's actually in the ministry. Um, I have a college at my church, Freedom House College, and he's in in that second year uh, leading our young adults,
0: preaches. I mean, he's just gifted, blown away. 19 years old and he preaches. Hmm. Has he been to seminary? Um, Where did he go to study to show himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly... Divide the word of truth. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that happens in many charismatic churches, and it's nepotism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is uh, you basically your son or daughter. You know, they are immediate heir to the throne, if you would, and they become preachers and teachers without any formal training that would actually qualify them to be somebody who can exegete God's word. But the only thing that is necessary is that the son of the vision casting leader, or daughter of the vision casting leader.
4: So, so blown away at what God's doing with his life. My daughter, Cabell, um, she's beautiful. And she's uh, 17 years old. She just graduated from high school. She's doing our internship program. She's doing phenomenal. So proud of her. Cassidy right there in the middle. Um, she is wide open, gorgeous, such a servant heart. I, know, I just feel there's such a strong call in her life. Uh, she's just like my wife, which is Penny right there. She's gorgeous, my smoking hot wife. How many know you know you're a good pastor when your wife looks like that right there? Just saying. She's gorgeous, gorgeous. Well, I, I want to get right into this t- tonight. I, I um um I got this word at the beginning of the year, and I've been sharing it as the Lord has led me in different uh, environments. I haven't preached it at every.
0: So notice, uh, we're beginning with a claim that oh, this is this is something he's received directly from God. Not in the Bible. No, no. This is this is a word the Lord laid on his heart, or something like that. And whenever a pastor starts this way, I'm I'm not joking. Gather up the kids, get the spouse, get out. You're not going to hear God's word rightly taught. That becomes basically the smoke screen to make you feel like, well, you no, know, the Lord is the one who gave this to him, so it's got to be true. No, the way you know something's true when it comes to a message from the Lord is is whether or not it uh, rightly reflects what the scriptures actually say and mean, Uh not based upon what a pastor says. Oh, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, man, this is a word that he's given me for you. And yeah, no, 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 no. But I feel like I want to preach it
4: tonight. Um it's called the title of this message, and I'd encourage you to take some notes. I'm gonna teach a little bit, and then we're just gonna release this message.
0: Yeah, it- release it like, you know, the Ebola virus. You gotta think of it that way. This, these releasing words. Uh yeah, this is the devil basically just saying, Hey, I'm gonna release this into the into your church, and it's it's totally toxic and um you know will probably lead to spiritual death. But, hey, we're releasing it. So you you want to receive this, what I'm releasing? Go ahead and raise your hand or something like that. Yeah, run away when you hear this talk.
4: To you tonight and uh, just over your life. And I I believe God's going to touch some people and, and just encourage some people. And we're just going to go there in the next 40 minutes or so.
0: Um, the title of this message, I, I call it the Samuel Struggle. Uh, that's what you call it, the Samuel Struggle. Wow, yeah. I mean... Have you been through the Samuel struggle yet? I, you know, that it's an important part of Christian sanctification. Never vo- before revealed until now, though. I mean, it, it it is still a very new and fresh word from God. You can't actually rightly understand God's word the old-fashioned way uh, in order to find the Samuel struggle thingy that you've got to go through. So, okay.
4: Samuel struggle. And what I want to do is I want to talk about the new anointing that God has for you this year.
0: Really, new anointing for this year. Uh Again, all of these signs, I mean, we haven't even heard how he's handling the Word of God yet. All of these signs guarantee there's no way on earth he's going to rightly handle God's Word at all. No way. All of this is telegraphing that what you're about to hear is a twisting of God's Word, a scratching of itching ears, telling of theology that's actually not revealed or found in Scripture. All of the signs are there, and he hasn't even cracked open or turned on his Bible yet. And you should already know that what's coming is not at all what God's Word says.
4: Just believe that you in this place, many of you are on the edge, the verge of
0: stepping into A new anointing. Everybody say new anointing. Yeah, are you on the verge of stepping into a new anointing? Well, this is the word that God has given him to release, you know.
4: Now, if you don't know what anointing is, the anointing is the supernatural power of God. Um, It is. Uh,
0: No, that's not correct.
4: In the the Hebrew, it's the the Hebrew word mushak,
0: which means that it's God's. God rubbing off on you. It's no, that's not what an anointing is. Anointing, you know, think of oil. It's a, a smearing or things like that. Um, yeah, what he's saying is not actually factually correct at all regarding what these words mean.
4: A little bit of God. When you get around him, you just get a little bit of him on you. It's it's when you spend time with them in prayer, when you spend time with them in the Word, when you spend time with Him in worship, you can't help but get a little bit of Him on you. And and now when I say the anointing, I'm not talking about just ministry because I think when, when a preacher says anointing, he immediate, you immediately go, well, that's just for people who are in full-time ministry. That's what I'm talking about. It's not limited to the people who are called to full-time ministry. You have an anointing... Some of you have an anointing to make money. There's an anointing.
0: really. So, where in Scripture is the money-making anointing described? Need to do that.
4: Some of you have an anointing for business entrepreneurship. Some of you have an anointing to parent, meaning that not when you're when you're when your kids leave, that's not the end of your parenting. God is going to give you spiritual children, which you're going to raise up. Some of you. Have an anointing for marriage, and it doesn't mean that you're yeah g- you
0: have an, a marriage anointing, yeah right yeah
4: a marriage ministry it's it's that young couples are just attracted to you and there's an anointing on your life to rub off the the, the presence of God that's on them will rub off on them on on, the, on that couple on you will rub off on them there's a notice we're not even in a biblical text yet. There's an anointing, a new anointing. Another way to define it would be it's it's his power
0: in you to fulfill what he wants to do through you. Yeah, where did you get this definition of Mashiach? I'd like to know which Hebrew lexicon gives us this definition. The anointing is his
4: power in you to fulfill what he wants to do through you. There is a purpose on your life, but it requires, in order to do God's purpose, you have to have his anointing. You can fulfill your purpose without his power, but you can't fulfill his purpose
0: without his power. Really? And you have a biblical text that actually says this. Notice, he's giving doctrine at this point, claiming this is a word from the Lord given to him to give there's no biblical text that teaches this doctrine at all. Without his anointing. Everybody say new anointing. Um, it, it's, it's the power of God. Now, Old Testament. So the only thing he could do at this point, he's got to go and look in the scriptures to find a text that he could rip out of context to make it teach this new anointing doctrine. That's where we're going to go.
4: You'll see the word anointing or the presence of God fell upon people in order to fulfill a specific purpose, and then it would lift off of them. For example, Samson was one of those guys where the power of God came on him. You know, he – Where does it say that was an anointing? feed Philistines, and then he would be finished and the presence of God would lift off or the anointing would lift off of him.
0: Yeah, you're making the, you know, the presence of God synonymous with the anointing. Again, which lexicon says that this is what Mashiach means? Because Jesus is the Mashiach. The,
4: Elijah carried a mantle around around with him, and that mantle represented the anointing. And when he had that mantle, when he passed it, it says that when he went up in the chariot in 1 Kings, it, it says that the, the, the mantle fell down and Elisha picked up the anointing. So it was something that was on them. Well, you and I... Because we live under a better covenant that was built upon better promises.
0: Oh, okay. So because we live under a better covenant, see, this anointing thing gets even better. It's like anointing 2.0. Uh-huh. Notice this is a theology based upon the logic he's created.
4: Because Jesus went to the cross, was resurrected, and he told us in John 14:15 and 16 that he would send... A comforter, a friend who would not just be on us, but would live in us.
0: Right. The comforter is the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-huh. And what does this have to do with the so-called new anointing for this year that you're talking about?
4: So the anointing is not meant to lift off of you. It's meant to increase
0: in you. (laughs) I just... Yeah, wow, yeah. So, I mean, notice that we're not in any biblical text at this point. He's just just prattling on, you know, and whatever sounds logical to the things that he's saying, these are becoming the doctrines that he's teaching. None of these doctrines are actually taught in Scripture. Are you following me? No. Everybody say anointing. Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 43,
4: uh, write, write this verse down, Isaiah 43, 19. It says, Behold, I do a new thing.
0: Right. So there you go. So he's got, he's got, God's doing a new thing. Now we're going to have to take a break. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to back up just a little bit to see if Isaiah 43 is teaching about the new anointing. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody knows that's really what's going on there. Right. I mean, the people, the children of Israel, when they read Isaiah 43, they were thinking, man, in 2017, there's this new anointing thingy coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll actually check that out by looking at the text of Isaiah 43 in context. But uh, right now we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Higher Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a little bit more of Mr. Maxwell, as well as Colin Dye in hour number two, Jurgen Matthias. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back.
2: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it.
3: You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. (laughs) You're
5: listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
2: Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theater presents. Church Day Select. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Can I help you? Yes. Do you have a copy of 30 Days in the Desert to Learn Your Purpose and to Cast the Vision to the Ignorant Masses by S. Furtick QWZ? Oh, uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind, never mind. How about 101 Ways to Build a Megachurch and Make Big Bucks? I? Uh... Well, some American gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment. I believe his last name rhymes with Shin. Uh, no, well, we haven't gotten in stock, sir. <sighs> oh, well, not to worry, not to worry. Can you help me with the screw tape letters? Ah, yes. C.S. Lewis. No. I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I... Th- I think you'll find C.S. Re- Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. Sir. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's? Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity, it's more thorough than Lewis's. More thorough? Yes, I I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letters. No, sir. All of our screw tape letters have one C. Are you sh- quite sure? Quite. Mm, not worth just looking. Definitely not. <sighs> all right. How about the great divorce? Yes, well we have that. That's G R A T E divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well in that case we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. actually he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P R O L P R O A B L U M. No. The Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes. I-, I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes! You mean Paralandra? No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian, and perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Blewis, or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent But Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four I's and a silent Q. What a pity. That's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I, I did. They sent me here. Did they? I, I wonder. Oh, do go on, Please. Yes, I, I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid Spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles, Volume 8. No, don't have that. Funny. got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here, thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't, no, we haven't. But, 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 I'm sorry, but, 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 it's one o'clock, we're closing for lunch. I, I saw it! I saw it! What? what? I, I saw it over there! Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes! B-O-D-I-E-S Yes! M-A-Y-E-R Yes! (sighs) Yes, well, we do have that as a matter of fact. The expurgated version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated version. The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The, The one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. Ah, The Presbyterians, right! Presbyterians! There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists! The Methodists! The Methodists! The Methodists! Ah, yeah, they are! There you are! No Lutherans. no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. I I wonder if you have... um... No, go on! Ask me anything. We've got lots of book here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel according to Rob Bell. No, 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 try me again. Uh, I, I know. Uh, Martin is The Two Natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, what, what? Yeah. Martin is The Two Natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz's Two in <laughs> Yes, we got it. I said it somewhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I found it here. Got it. Yes, here we are. Martin is Two Natures in Christ. There's your book. Now buy it. I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit. I-, I don't have any money. I'll take a check. I, I don't have a checkbook. I got a blank one. I-, I don't have a bank account. Right. I'll buy it for you. There we are. There's There's some money for a taxi on the wait, way home. Wait, you- wait. 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 What? 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 I can't read. You can't read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit. Sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis... That follows from this a communion of attributes.
5: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To err is to pirate.
0: listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to think that people who are telling you, "Oh, I've received a message that I'm supposed to give to you from the Lord," that they haven't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew, and it's based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month and Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It gives us a solid financial base to work from so that we can continue to pay our bills, budget properly, plan our next exploits, which are on the way, by the way. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, real quick, just a reminder, if you, uh, you need to go to our website, this is the time to register for our conferences. We have two conferences that we're holding uh, during the summer months, It's summer months in the United States, um, and one is in Sydney, Australia. The other is in, uh, well, at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. That one's in August. The Australia Conference is literally last day of June, first day of July in Sydney, and uh, uh, you need to register for the conference's details are on our website. Um, So go to fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Conferences button at the very top, select the conference that you would like to attend. Space is limited, just, just to remind you of that. All right, real quick, let's go to Isaiah 43 real quick. Uh, before we hear back from Mr. Maxwell, who's telling us about the uh, the new anointing that God is uh, apparently releasing now, um, and let's see if Isaiah 43:19, where God says, "Behold, I am doing a new thing," mm-hmm, is a prophecy about the new anointing that Troy Maxwell is releasing, you know, for the year 2017. Isaiah 43. By the way, wonderful passage of scripture. Isaiah 43 is one of the most important. I, you know, listen. All scripture is God breathed, but some passages are like seminal. They're like, you know, they're like classic books, if you would. I mean, they're so important that uh, to you know not understand these texts, to not pay attention to them, to not even know of their existence. Is actually not a good thing. It shows that your discipleship is, well, how should we say it, wanting? So you, you, you these are these are important passages of scripture. Isaiah 43, 1. We're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, 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 and to see if we can make sense of this passage. Now, thus says Yahweh, he who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So notice here, Isaiah 43, and if you know your Bible, I mean, this is like one of the very first times where it actually, where the Lord Himself, Yahweh, makes it very clear that He is our Savior. Important stuff. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored. I, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Do not withhold. Notice he's talking about those whom he's calling to believe in him and worship him from all of the earth, right? Uh, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the peoples who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And henceforth I am. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and and bring them all down as fugitives. Even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice, I am Yahweh, the Holy One, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down and cannot rise. Now, this is the important part. Here in this segment of Isaiah 43, you see a direct reference to the Exodus. Mm -hmm. And this is showing that literally God is making a new Exodus. The Exodus was pointing to something bigger. So thus says the Lord, who makes a pathway in the sea, a a path in the mighty water, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down and cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not yet perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. God is describing a new a new exodus. This is what they were expecting so yet you did not call upon me o jacob but you have but you have been weary of me o israel you have not brought me your sheep or burnt offerings or honor me with your sacrifices i have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense you have not bought me a sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices but you have burdened me with your sins you have wearied me with your iniquities i i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember you and I will not remember your sins, so put me in remembrance let 's argue together, set forth your case that you may be proved right, and your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me, therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling mm-hmm. so this is one of those cases you know where God is, um, kind of sent Isaiah, if you would, to be a covenant prosecutor. And the goal is to call Israel to repentance, repentance of their idolatry, to have their sins forgiven. A new exodus is promised here. There's even uh, hints at the Messiah himself. And I don't see anything in this text that would lead me to believe that really what Isaiah was writing about was some new anointing that's supposed to be uh, released as a result of Troy Maxwell's prophecy in the year 2017 at C3 Church in San Diego. Mm -hmm. We got a problem here, Houston.
4: Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Wake up. That's that's God's way of saying, hey, listen to what I'm about to say because this new thing that he wants to do in you is going to cause, have a causative effect in your life. I will even listen to what he says because of the new thing, the new anointing,
0: I will even make a road in the wilderness. And yeah, I didn't see any references there to the new anointing. How are you finding that in the text? That's an improper referent rivers in the desert. Now, when the Bible uses the term wilderness
4: and desert, symbolically wilderness always revolves around wanderings and desert always revolves around dryness.
0: Uh So, yeah, wandering dryness. Got it.
4: So, so what he's saying is this new anointing will create a road. Road gives us direction, direction in our
0: wanderings. Right. Yeah. The new anointing will give us direction in our dry wanderings. Got it and it will be a river it'll it'll bring wetness to our dryness yeah dryness yeah
4: that's what the new anointing does not just for you but the people that are around you
0: uh-huh yeah i i i don't think that isaiah 43:19 was a prophecy of the new anointing in 2017 being released at uh, C3 Church in San Diego uh, as a result of, you know, the prophet Troy Maxwell. That's what we call an improper referent. That's not what's going on in Isaiah 43.10. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm 100% sure there is not one biblical scholar, not one, you know, commentary on Isaiah written by reputable Hebrew scholars and prophecy scholars that say, "And this is Isaiah 43:19, this is the prophecy of the new anointing for 2017 to be released at C3 San Diego. You yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. So <clears throat> you, you get the point here. This is a truly an improper referent, totally improper. All right, we're going to stay under the umbrella that we began with, you know, because I, I, I'm not sure how to uh, how to categorize this fellow. The next person you're going to be hearing from, and and you got to know, this segment's going to go a little bit long before we get to the um, the sermon in hour number two. This is a fellow by the name of Colin Dye. The name of the sermon is "Possessing Your Inheritance: Don't Lose the Plot," and this is really. Really sneaky, subtle um but so you know oftentimes you know we'll we 'll do stuff here at fighting for the faith that 's easy to spot, and then we rank, uh, rack it up and make it a little bit more difficult to spot, and the first part of this, where he 's laying out the biblical typology, especially of the Passover as it points to Christ, is absolutely spot on, and you have to say amen to it, but where he jumps the tracks and loses the plot uh, uh, pun intended is when he talks about what he believes the, the inheritance is referring to. So uh, here's Colin Dye, and the name of his uh, congregation is Kensington Temple, as he explains to us why we need to uh, possess our inheritance. Let's see what he has to say.
3: Now this morning I want to begin a short series entitled Possessing Your Inheritance. And as you turn to Joshua chapter 13, we're going to read there in a moment, you will see highlighted the phrase God speaks to Joshua and says, There remains very much land yet to be possessed. Joshua chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I want to say that in the middle, we have a long list of names, of places, the parts of Canaan that were not yet conquered and inherited by the children of Israel. These names are difficult to pronounce. They're very obscure. You won't find, find them on a map today and even some of your Bible study maps might be hard pushed to find them. But uh, it's just a long list of what remains to be done. And as you listen to those names... Think about the things that, um, I don't want to spoil your Sunday, but think about the things that uh, are not yet completed, projects unfulfilled in your own life and in your own ministry. So Joshua chapter 13,
0: projects unfulfilled in my own life. What? What? (laughs) What is he talking about? So... See, already I'm scratching my head, and the reason why is because the name of the the uh, message is possessing your inheritance. Now, this is where some good cross reference work would be helpful. Uh, if you uh, were to, you know, if you have a you know one of those electronic Bibles, and you get into your electronic Bible and search the New Testament for the word inheritance, it might help you out here. Yeah, um, the reason being is that scripture interprets scripture. So when we look at the, you know, Old Testament types and shadows, the question immediately comes up, you know, how do we rightly orient ourselves with these types and shadows? So the inheritance of the Old Testament. So you have the children of Israel in slavery, yeah, under the power of uh, Pharaoh who's the stand-in for the devil. They are redeemed through the Passover lamb, right, exactly, and then they're brought out, baptized in the Red Sea, and now they spend, you know, uh, a, a lifetime, one lifetime, in the wilderness before they enter the promised land, which is their inheritance. So the question immediately comes up, how does Scripture in the New Testament take the Old Testament type and shadow regarding the inheritance and plug it in? hmm that's the question. So you would look at, you know, so you look for passages in the New Testament, you know, inheritance and inheritance. These are practically synonymous, and I mean this, at least how the New Testament works. So, for instance, um, Galatians 3, verse 18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise, so we learn that inheritance doesn't come by the law. In Galatians three eighteen, Ephesians one eleven, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All right, or the Holy Spirit. Verse uh, uh, Ephesians one uh, verse fourteen the, is the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So we see in Ephesians, in the opening chapter, that the inheritance is talked about as something that we will acquire possession of. Mm-hmm. Um, Ephesians 5 5. You may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Mm hmm. Or you can talk about uh, Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 11, says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh-huh. Or Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. So the idea here is, is that when you check the Scriptures, the New Testament in particular, you know how does the inheritance of the Old Testament, which is type and shadow, translate into a right understanding of God's Word in the present? Well, quite simply, it's the, the inheritance of the Old Testament is pointing to the new heavens, the new earth. That's our inheritance. We receive our inheritance with the saints. We will receive the inheritance. We haven't received it yet. It's still coming. Now, that's important information, and all we did was do a careful look at the um, cross-references. That's all we've done, and we can see already That the inheritance is not something we have presently now in our possession, but we will have it when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And so with that understanding, at least the understanding given by Scripture of how we're to properly understand what the inheritance is, we can now continue and kind of ask the question... Is what we're hearing from Colin Dye on possessing your inheritance, is the inheritance he's describing here the same inheritance as taught in Scripture? Are the reference the same? We continue.
3: Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and that of the Geshurites from Sihor which is east of Egypt as far as the border of Ekron northward which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines the Gazites, the Ashtodites, the Ashkelonites the Gittites, the Ekronites and the Avites from the south all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Afek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebalites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamat, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Misrephoth, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only apportion it, divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. There remains very much land yet to be possessed Jim Lovell Jr. was the commander of an infamous Apollo mission Apollo 13 now if you know the story of Apollo 13 it suffered a critical failure on the way to the moon and it was only brought back safely to earth by the efforts of the crew and the mission control and I wonder If uh, Lovell, as he reflects on this, this was the background to the statement that he makes in one of his publications. There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people who wonder what happened.
0: See, already I'm confused. I, I don't understand how this Jim Lovell quote has to do with possessing our inheritance, the inheritance that were promised is the inheritance of the new heavens, the new earth. And when you read the New Testament, our inheritance is coming. Uh-huh. Got a problem here. And so if it's coming, am I supposed to be the one to bring it? N- yeah, no. Actually, Jesus is the one who brings it, new heavens, new earth. And the, you get this, the thing what I'm saying
3: here. Then it goes on to say, to be successful, you need to be a person who makes things happen. What happened? I guess, as we know from media recently, in the last few days following the general election, a lot of people are asking, what happened? None of the pundits, the pollsters, or political commentators were expecting. It took, it took them by surprise. Somehow, someone, somewhere, lost the plot didn't really understand what was going on in the nation. Anytime you lose the plot, it can be quite frustrating if you're watching a television series or coming halfway through a movie and you have no idea you ask, what's, what's going on, what's happening. Losing the plot. But I think even more tragic, most tragic of all, in fact, is when we lose the plot for our lives.
0: Yeah, I think he's lost the plot of, what the inheritance is. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Yeah, see, the inheritance is being kept in heaven for us and will be revealed when Jesus returns. We've got a problem here. I think that Colin is losing the plot because the way he's talking about the inheritance isn't jiving with how... The New Testament talks about the inheritance. The New Testament being the substance, the Old Testament being the
3: type and shadow. we got a problem. When we live the whole of our lives from day to day, not ever discovering what life is all about. In our passage today, we have a story taken from the Israelites as they are trying to make full possession of their inheritance. And it reminds me that they came out of Egypt for a purpose... Moses' ministry was to take them out, but God's purpose was not just to take them out of Egypt, but to bring them into something, the land of Canaan, which God described as a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey.
0: Right, and that promised land is always pointing to the promised land, the inheritance, which is the new heavens and new earth. Let me give you another text so that we can kind of understand this. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For a people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, we got a problem here, because the way he's talking about the inheritance, it's something I'm supposed to be actively going after, you know? Um, It's kept in heaven, unfading. It'll be
3: revealed when Jesus returns. Coming out of Egypt is a picture of our salvation.
0: Yes, it is. I completely agree with this part.
3: Before, we were in bondage to sin, to the hard task make- maker of sin, task master of sin. We were... Sh- the devil, yeah. ...under the oppression of the rule and dominion of sin and Satan and death.
0: It, absolutely. What he's saying here is right on. So this part... He, he can see the connection typologically, but he's lost the plot here.
3: It was no good news at all, but Moses rescued them. And on that final plague that hit Egypt, the plague of the firstborn, God said, I will protect you. Make sure that you sacrifice a lamb and sprinkle the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and lintels of your homes. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the judgment that is to fall will not touch you because you are protected by the blood. That's exactly what it means to be saved. It's a picture of our salvation.
0: Yeah, it is. Straight up. I couldn't agree more. I, amen.
3: This is true. The blood of Jesus, God's sacrificial lamb, has paid the price for our sins and carried our judgment so that when by faith we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, in other words, when we say we put our trust in what Jesus did, we put all our trust in this one thing, Jesus.
0: Yeah, the, the verbs are a little weird there. Um, even faith itself is given to us as a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, or it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's the it there? The salvation, the whole package, including faith itself, is given as a gift by God. You see, we're dead in trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ. Yeah, read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. I think you'll get the idea
3: died for me simply by faith when we accept that we are saved we are delivered and we're set free given an assurance of God's free gift of heaven it's that simple we are saved by faith and by faith alone Indeed. but that's not the end of the story but
0: now it's true we're saved by faith by faith alone but he says but that's not the end of the story okay now i listen totally agree that christians are called to do good works this is most certainly true. I mean, now the question immediately comes up, well, what is a good work? Well, you have to actually read the Bible to figure out what a good work is. Consult the Ten Commandments if you're a little confused on this. Or like the back half of like many of the epistles, uh, like the the epistle to the Ephesians. You know, so how do we do our good works? Well, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church. So wives submit to your husbands. Children obey your parents. Um, yeah, slaves obey your masters. Yeah, see, we do our good works in our different vocations. This is what a good work is. Yeah, you want it. So the idea then, you do your good work as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as a student, as an employee, as an employer. This is where our good works are done. Scripture is very clear on
3: this. God says, I have saved you for a purpose. And now when we look at the children of Israel as they are occupying Canaan, it's a picture not of our salvation, but of our inheritance. The-
0: well, here's the thing. You're right. Occupying Canaan is a picture of our inheritance. The heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth. Yeah, the salvation that's going to be revealed in the last day that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 1. So, uh, what are you thinking the inheritance is?
3: life ...that God has for us and an inheritance that comes into play. And this is not by faith alone. You can believe as much as you like for your inheritance, and it will not come to you until you put your faith into action.
2: Put... Um, yeah. Um,
0: again, I just wonder how you would reconcile that with all of the verses that I just read out regarding the inheritance. Let me read another one of you. again. First Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us, notice who's doing the causing, He, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be ve- revealed in the last time. Hmm. Yeah, it does. See, I, um, I, Jesus is bringing the inheritance back with him
3: faith into practice and so the works done in faith are the very things that cause you to rise up lay hold of your inheritance and everything that god has for you
0: no no i i you've lost the plot here
3: coming out of egypt in order to take possession of your inheritance
0: right we take possession of it when jesus returns in glory to judge the living and dead new heavens new earth you seem to have skipped an important part of the story and you've got an improper referent here. The we are no we are not in the promised land. We're not in the new heavens and new earth. We've been set free from slavery to sin, death and the devil. We've been baptized. Where are we? We're in the wilderness wanderings heading towards the promised land, the new earth. Uh-huh. So he's done a pro- he's got a problem here and that is he's lost the plot. He's forgotten about the whole wilderness wandering thing. That's where we are as Christians right now as we head to our inheritance, new heavens, new earth. So we are to do our good works. Uh-huh. Here in the wilderness. That's where we is right now. We're not in the promised land yet. That's the problem. He hasn't carefully paid attention to how scripture
3: interprets itself the promised land it's a picture of the Christian life now have you ever wondered why God the moment you are saved doesn't immediately take you to heaven if that was the case there would be no believers in this place wouldn't even be a believing preacher would all be gone who would preach to the rest of them and uh, when at the end of the service when i make an appeal for salvation this won't happen to you but suppose it did when god says okay the moment you accept christ in your life and you are qualified for heaven you're coming home it would be yes i see that hand bank no i don't anymore they're gone <laughs> have you ever wondered why god does not immediately take you to heaven the moment you believe Well, it's very clear. God has a plan and purpose for your life on earth.
0: Mm -hmm. So here we go. Purpose-driven stuff is, yeah, finding your purpose is not the same as receiving your inheritance. By the way, inheritance. What do you do to earn an inheritance? Answer, nothing. An inheritance is given as a gift. What must happen in order for you to receive an inheritance? Answer somebody has to die, and before their death they have to will it to you, right, yeah, that's right, so the thing you do to receive an inheritance is receive it see all, see again, this doesn't make any sense, you know he's turning your inheritance into something that you have to work for. no, an inheritance is a gift given. And Jesus is the one who died. He's willed it to you. See, even When you start to push on the, the, the concept itself, what he's saying doesn't make sense. And the reason why is because he hasn't paid attention to how the reference work in Scripture.
3: For heaven, the Bible says that God has prepared
0: good works for all of us. Indeed, he has. I agree. We, we as Christians do good works because we're Christians. But our good works are not our inheritance. You are not paying attention to how Scripture defines these things.
3: He's prepared them in advance, and and our inheritance is to lay hold of everything that God had in his mind when he laid hold of us.
0: No, it's not. That's not our inheritance. You're not paying attention to just clear passages
3: in the New Testament, what our inheritance is. Paul, in Ephesians 2, verse 20, explains this quite clearly. Ephesians 2, verse 10, he explains it very clearly. For we are his workmanship. That's a very rich word. Yeah, it's true that
0: we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, but our good works are not the inheritance. We do our good works in the wilderness.
3: Workmanship. In other words, it's the word actually where we get the English word poem from. It means creative masterpiece, God's...
0: This guy is like ser- seriously saturated in purpose-driven theology, which may explain the problem as to why he's not correctly handling what scripture teaches regarding the inheritance. Creative
3: craftsmanship, and he has taken so much care, recreative care, to remake us according to his original plan. So it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for
0: good works. In other words, there's a purpose. Now, it's true that we've been created for good works, no doubt about it. Yep, that's not our inheritance.
3: He's shaped our lives, remade our lives for a purpose. The Bible describes it as good works. And, of course, it, it means acts of charity and serving in the community and doing all the good deeds which Jesus calls us to do. But it's...
0: Yeah, you, boy, that's kind of a weird definition. You know, the same book, Ephesians, yeah, actually defines what our good works are. Uh-huh. I I'm not making this up. I mean... <laughs> I mean, you want to know what it says, Ephesians 5, you know, uh, we'll start at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best... Use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and is himself its savior now the church submits to christ so also wives submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave herself, himself up for her that we might that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. Children, obey your parents, and it goes on and on. These are our good works. Ephesians itself
3: defines what a good work is. not just about that. It's about everything that God has for us as we live out our Christian lives before we go to heaven. These good works, the Bible says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
0: I agree. We Christians do good works. And it's not just merely acts of charity. You do your good works when you get up and you commute to work or when you stay home and you take care of your children. Um, yeah, this is these are where our good
3: works are done. Yeah. You're going to do it for us. Your pastor, your brother, your sister, your cell leader, your cell member, it's not going to do it for you. You have a call upon your life that God wants to rise you to rise up and take it, being involved in his purpose for
0: rise up and take it you see again you 're using you 're mixing metaphors here um, and you 've not properly paid attention to
3: what the inheritance is life is moving towards your inheritance, and this is part of a big plan it 's not just about you in fact it 's all about Jesus, and the remarkable thing is is that We are part of that story. And your story and my story are brought into the bigger story, the greatest story of God. God's big story is a love story in which he chooses to display his glory in all the earth. Before the very powers of heaven through you, through your life, through my life. And the end goal is to have an innumerable company of redeemed people, people redeemed by his grace, carrying the image of Christ in glorious relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people. And it doesn't just end there. It actually ends in a whole new heaven and a new earth, which is the home of righteousness.
0: Well, actually, that would be the inheritance Yeah, I just read it out from several passages in Scripture.
3: Wonderful plan, far bigger than what we would ever imagine. When we dip into God's Word, we begin to see this story unfold and the thrill and joy that we are part of it. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to have the same attitude to all of this that the Apostle Paul had.
2: Yeah,
0: here's the problem and I've been pointing it out all along, is that he's got an improper referent. And the issue is is that by having an improper referent and not correctly teaching about the inheritance, which is given as a gift, which Christ will bring back with him when he turns in glory to judge the living and the dead, he's actually confusing law and gospel and making it sound like it's incumbent upon me to make the inheritance happen when it's not. It's incumbent upon Christ to bring it with him on the day when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. I think you get the idea. All right. We are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, well, we're going to be heading down to C3 Church, San Diego, and reviewing a sermon where he also kind of misses the reference. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
2: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman?
2: Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. Rah! You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
3: This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association. Of Lutheran churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
0: for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Let's do this right, though.
5: Hey, ho.
0: The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, San Diego, Jürgen Matthias presiding. The na- The name of the sermon is the You Effect. I, th- I think the you who's affected this text is Jürgen Matthias, and in a bad way. I mean, this is a text that's about the healing of the paralytic who was lowered through the roof of, you know, Jesus' house, actually. Read the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that out. And he's totally missed the whole point, because he's not paying attention to the referent, not paying attention to the grammar, and asking, like, the obvious questions. As a result, he thinks this is about how your faith will change everybody's life, and that's not quite what's going on there, so... Let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Jürgen Matthias and his sermon titled "The U Effect." Here we go. The most magnificent. But if you don't know them, do yourself
1: a favor and get to know them. And uh, just absolutely fantastic people. We love you. All right, come with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter nine. I've got five points, and believe it or not. I got through all five in the uh, the 8:30 service. Thanks for your faith, Becky. Matthew
0: chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine. Yell out when you're there. Matthew chapter nine. I think they're going to put it up on the. Now, when he, if he doesn't get the the exegesis right, all five of his points are not actually going to have anything to do with what the text is saying or teaching, and that's the problem. If you if you miss. The referent, yeah, then you're heading down the wrong path. There's no way to recover. behind me. It says this. It
1: says, so Jesus, he got into the boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they... Who are they? We don't know. Four men. There's four men. They're carrying a paralytic on a, on a, on a stretcher. You'll find it in, in uh, the Gospel of Mark. I think it's chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. It says, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Now let me let me just kind of stop there for a second. So there are four men and they pick up their, their paralytic friend to bring him to Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke, it says because Jesus was in the house preaching the word, the crowds were so big that they couldn't get in. So rather than kind of, you know, walk away and say, well, you know, he... He's going to stay paralyzed because we couldn't get in. They actually climb up onto the roof and they begin to dismantle the roof till there's enough room to lower their friend in the stretcher, you know, kind of ruins the whole meeting. So now Jesus, whether he wants to or not, has to deal with this distraction of a paralytic, you know, he's kind of, I was going to say he waves, but he might not be able to wave, he's kind of blinking his, you know, as they kind of lower him down. And so Jesus looks up, and there, there are four guys looking over, you know, like this, looking. And Jesus looks up, and the Bible says this: I love it. Jesus says, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "He he didn't doesn't say when he saw the paralytic's faith."
0: Yeah, here's the issue, and that is the question: is who's the there? There is it only the faith of the four men or is it the faith of the four men and the paralytic okay we're gonna see if we can take a look at this text see if we can figure out what the referent is matthew chapter nine matthew chapter nine and we read um so um verse one getting into a boat jesus crossed over came to his own city Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Now, let me just ask the question. Does Jesus forgive the sins of those who don't have faith in him? Hmm. I don't recall God ever forgiving sins. Of those who do not believe in him, so the there there must include the faith of the paralytic. Uh huh. The fact that he has faith and he gets his sins forgiven is a big deal, right? So take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says. And by the way, let me ask you this question: How many of you, when you tell a joke, do you skip the punchline? I I don't know anybody that does that. Um, So we better read the rest of the text because the story doesn't end there. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and the glorified God who had given such authority to men? Authority to do what? So that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You see, that's kind of the big thing there. You see, they brought this fellow to Jesus in the hopes of him receiving a physical healing. They'd heard that Jesus could heal. And they came away knowing. And well, glorifying God because God had given authority to men to do what? To forgive sins. That's a big deal. You see, because not all of us are paralyzed, but every single one of us needs our sins forgiven. That's the punchline. That's the gist of this text. And Jurgen Matthias, rather than focusing on the one who has the authority to forgive sins, Jesus Christ, is going to miss the whole point because he's he's missed the reference. He thinks the there there somehow excludes the paralytic, but how can it? He had his his sins forgiven. We continue. The paralytic may not have had any faith. Nowhere does it even say that he wanted to be there. Um. It says that Jesus forgave his sins. Does Jesus forgive the sins of those who do not have faith in Him? Just asking.
5: He may have argued the whole way. That I want
0: That's isogies, a speculative isogies. Now sticking stuff in the text that isn't there.
1: I'm trying to bite their. I'm trying to
0: bite their hands.
1: When Jesus saw
0: their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Again, why would you think their faith would exclude the paralyzed man?" Son, your sins
1: are forgiven. Now the Pharisees pipe off, and who are you to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus well, what's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up, take your bed and walk? But so that you may know that I have power on earth to forgive sins, son, rise up, pick up your bed, and walk. And immediately he stood up, picked up his bed, and walked out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God,
0: saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. The- no, actually, you're wrong. It's weird because he missed the punchline. Rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose and went home when the crowd saw they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And the authority, the immediate reference in the context, in the immediate context, is the authority to forgive sins. Yeah, got a problem here, Jürgen. And my message this morning is the you effect. The you effect. Why aren't you preaching about the one who has the authority to forgive sins? We all need that. The you effect.
1: Uh, Right now we're in the relationomic series. And we've been talking about all the different dynamics and all the different principles and the interplay in relationships and how to create relational harmony. But I really felt the Holy Ghost put this message on my heart because the truth is if... Mm-hmm.
0: So the Holy Ghost put this message on his heart and he's missed the referent. The theology doesn't make any sense and he skipped the, the actual punchline of the text. Are you sure the Holy Spirit put this on your heart and the Holy Spirit's not up there going, hey, 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 Juergen, dude, you're messing up my word. Knock it off, man.
1: If you bring an unhealthy you If you bring a broke down you to any relationship, it's always going to
0: limp. If you've got, what on earth does that have to do with the one who has the authority to forgive sins? If you bring an unhealthy you, you create a limp in a relationship. What? What?
1: Broken leg. doesn't matter how strong the other leg is. You're going to go skiing. It doesn't matter how good your bib and brace looks. You may have the coolest looking gear, you may look all, but it, on that broken, it's not going to, you've got to get that thing fixed. Many years ago, there was a book and it became a movie called The Butterfly Effect. And you know, the theory is, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings in Rio de Janeiro can change the weather patterns of Madagascar, you know, something, you know, that cause an effect. But I, I want to show you today from the scriptures, how God's favorite thing, you God's favorite person on the planet, you.
0: (laughs) I'm God's favorite person on the planet. Who knew? Yeah.
1: How you actually have an impact and you have an an effect. And I'll be honest with you, when God gave me the title, I'm like, oh, come on, can I call it the Jesus effect? Uh
0: Uh-huh. So notice he got cheeky with God. He believed God is the one who gave him the title, too. So this is a, a message directly from heaven to challenge this is to, deny and not listen to what it is that God wants you to believe as a Christian.
1: What about the God effect? I wanted to put, you know, and God's like, no, 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 no. No, I want you to talk to them like I love them. Like I love you. This is about you. I want you to know the weight that you carry. Sometimes that weight is privilege, but other times it's the weight of responsibility. But I want to talk about the you effect, the you effect. So here in this story,
0: we see point number one, that your faith saves your faith. Yeah, so apparently it was the faith of the guys who carried the paralytic that saved him, not his own faith. Wow. So you parents out there, you can believe for your kids and they'll be saved. They don't have to believe themselves, right? Save other people. The Bible says when, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Do
1: this man your sins are the guy. Nowhere does the scripture say he was repentant.
0: Yeah, the fact that Jesus forgave his sins might tell us something there. Again, I just asked the question, when was the last time Christ absolved somebody who didn't believe in him? Hmm? The
1: guy was asking for forgiveness, but when Jesus saw their faith, he said to this man, never underestimate the you factor, the power
0: of your faith. The power of your faith. What about the power of Jesus? So you, you are saying the power of my faith, telling me to have faith in my faith. That doesn't make any sense. I have faith in Christ. John was once lying in a hospital bed where they were doing all
1: kinds of tests. With kidney failure, and they're not—they're not sure, but they weren't giving a very, very good report. In fact, they were saying to, to to Becky, "It really looks bad. Do you have, you know, insurance and everything in order? Because this is not looking good." But thank God, in that moment, there was somebody else with faith, Dr. Matt Hubbard. Dr. Matt Hubbard had faith. He'd seen a few miracles and he thought, "You know what? I go to a church called C3 Church and and that church, they actually still believe that what Jesus said in the Bible 2000 years ago hasn't changed." And, and so he says, I'm going to call the pastor. Well, the pastor was getting on a plane to fly away and so and I said, "No, but don't worry." I said, "Pastor Summer's husband's in town. Get him to go and pray. He's a powerful prayer warrior." And so Pastor Mark walks in and he lays hands on John and the the atmosphere shifts and things break
0: somebody else's faith, somebody else's... So the atmosphere broke and shifted and things broke. Okay, I hope you had insurance.
1: Faith brought a miracle that day. Never underestimate the power.
0: Never underestimate the power of your faith. Wednesday nights... In- yeah, you're telling me to have faith in my faith. Faith always has an object. Biblical faith, saving faith, it's looking to Jesus. You're telling me to have faith in my faith. That's ridiculous. Higher groups of homeless people get fed because of the faith of this
1: young lady on the front row, beautiful Naomi. Because Naomi, Illinois, Kelly, Illinois, Kelly, Illinois, I keep ruining it. But from Hawaii, who's a little Hawaiian powerhouse, because she and you need to understand the warfare she went through with her her uh, restaurants, the warfare she went through with her business of the warfare, but she is just a powerhouse of faith. Because of her faith, other people benefit. Never underestimate the power of your faith. Your faith can save other people. Your faith can save. There is nothing like our precious faith, the scripture says. Now, here's why Pastor John and Pastor Charles and and, uh, Jeff and the team will encourage you men to be in, uh, emerge. It's more than just as a great event. It's more than just a It's got great speakers. It's more than just, it's got great ministry. It's more than just the fact that it's going to, man, this is so backwards. (sighs) The text is about Jesus, not me. Scratch uh, kind of men's ministry needs. Beyond all of that, there's a camaraderie. There's a brotherhood. Because there are times where, where your faith will fail. There are moments where Jesus even said to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. He says, but I've prayed for you that when you fail, when your faith fails, you'll turn back. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. There are times where where your, your faith is, Maybe low, maybe you're overcome, maybe maybe this giant, maybe this Goliath is too big for you. Maybe the song that you're singing you've just changed
0: <sighs> This Goliath is too big. Ugh. the story of David and Goliath. You,
1: you you've gone from, you know, singing, you know, Pastor Andrew's new song, Yahweh, Yahweh, you're not singing that song anymore, you know, you <laughs> now you're, you're on, you know you know nineties listening and you're I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I'm late, lying naked on
0: the floor. You're a little late, I'm already... This isn't what Matthew 9 is about. Maybe that's your... Can
1: I just tell you, in those moments where you're all out of faith thank God for other people with faith. I can't tell you, I'm the pastor, I can't tell you how many times, man, I feel like I've hit a wall, I feel like this obstacle, this challenge in front of me is too big for me, and I feel that I'm all out of faith, I've got nothing left in my faith tank, and then I get a phone call, then I'll get a text, then I'll get an email, I'll get some encouragement from some, God has a way, God has a way, but if you keep if you disconnect yourself, you make it so much harder, but if you can just stay connected, you will be surprised at the people that God will bring around your life, because your faith can save others, just like others' faith, people's faith can save you. We all need. I'm telling you this. I met with our uh, our kind of core uh, pastors this week, and and uh, I try and do that once a month, and we just call it the man meeting because it's just you know because Leanne does it with the ladies, and I'm like, oh, I got to do something, so we have the man meeting, and uh, and I said, you know, the number one tool of the devil is discouragement. The number one tool of the devil is discouragement, especially for men. Discouragement takes out more men than any other weapon that the devil has forged. But like we saw in that Emerge Men's video, no weapon forged, no weapon formed against you will prosper. But I'm going to tell you the greatest the greatest antidote to discouragement is encouragement. And the Bible says that a word spoken in season, that a word spoken...
0: Yeah, apparently he's done, you know, working with that text. He's just off-roading now. In
1: season is like beautiful dew. Is like the rain. There's something about a word from some of this, but something about encouragement. Hey, God's got you. You're bigger than theirs. I believe that God, I can't tell you how many times we went through dark seasons with, you know, with some of our kids and some of the things that they were walking into or had gotten, you know, trapped in, and then a word would come from Australia, a word would come from New Zealand, a word would come from somewhere else, just saying, Hey, God's got this, God's bigger than this, and, and put hope back into our tank. Never underestimate the you factor, the power of the faith that you carry. That's why sometimes you just got to get up and be in church and and well, you know what, I feel pretty good. I, I had a great prayer time yesterday, or I went to you know, a breakfast or an empowering session on I went to a conference all week. Maybe I can skip. But sometimes you just got to go to church because maybe. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe, you know, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe just sitting in the, that you hear a word that may not be for you. It may be for your work colleague. It may be for your family. It may be for somebody. What is he talking about? But don't underestimate the power of your faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to this man.
0: Yeah, he keeps making the point uh, with an improper referent. And by missing the referent, it's like he's missed the whole point of the text. Your sins are forgiven. Did you know the Bible says that Noah was found blameless in the sight of God,
1: and Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives were saved?
0: Noah doesn't say his sons had faith. Noah's faith saved his... Man, seriously? Now we're just going to... Uh, this is called an argument from silence.
1: When Zacchaeus was up a tree, Jesus spots him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm eating at your house today. And so Jesus goes in and Zacchaeus like, you know what? I kind of took my tax collecting power and authority a little too far. And I kind of overcharged people to line my own. He goes, I'm going to pay. Notice them. he ain't teaching a tax. Double. Everything that I stole, in fact, fourfold. Anybody that I've... Ex- and Jesus goes, wow. He says, "Today salvation has come to you and this entire house. Doesn't say that the children will repent. Doesn't say the... Wh- because of this... Never underestimate that your faith creates an umbrella. No text says
0: that. You better believe your faith creates an umbrella. We, we had uh, we had something in store. What if I refuse to believe it because the Bible doesn't say that?
1: In, in, in our home. And... Uh, and as I'm speaking with, with the man who uh, was representing Costco for the installation, I, I kept feeling like this, this guy's got a faith. But I could kind of discern something was broken. And, uh, and so as we began to talk, he began to tell me that he had a faith. And, I said, and we kind of rejoiced and shared. And I said, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. And, and then I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I said, the, the, the weirdest thing is, is I just want you to know that Noah's sons were saved. Noah's sons were saved not because of their actions, not because of their faith, but because of Noah's faith.
2: He just, really, which
0: biblical text says that they were saved because of Noah's faith? Where in Scripture does it say you can be saved by your parents' faith? This is straight up heresy.
1: began to weep. He just began to weep on my land. Just began to weep and weep and weep. He said twenty years ago, my son died of an overdose. He said, no fear that he'd be in hell? I, I don't know if he walked with the Lord.
0: So apparently you can have faith for him.
1: Let me just tell you this. Jesus says salvation comes to you and your household.
5: Oh, man.
0: Uh, unbelievable. So apparently all that's necessary for you to be saved is that your father or mother has faith.
1: Salvation comes to you and your household. Now, I honestly believe that you secure it. It's definite when you yourself make that decision for you and it goes on to now your house. But don't ever let me... I mean, I'm telling you, he hung on a cross, not so he could exclude people from heaven. He hung on a cross to include people into heaven. So just because someone went through a dark and... And so I, I, felt, I felt like it was a word for this man, and I prophesied.
0: Really? You, so now he's blaming this blasphemy on the Holy Spirit. He's blaspheming. This is what it means to take God's name in vain.
1: And, and, I, and I felt the Holy Ghost. I, I felt God, and I, I want, never want to give false hope, and I have to stand before God, and, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first one. To-
0: yeah, I'm sure he's going to ask you a lot about
1: this. Up then, but I felt like it was the word of the Lord that your your boy is in heaven, your boy is in glory now was he meant to be there just yet? No, maybe there's unfulfilled destiny, but don't ever think
0: right yeah he he just had unfulfilled destiny because he didn't actually have his own faith in Jesus and didn't you know and as a result of it, he never learned his own purpose I cannot believe how brazen the false teaching is getting nowadays just
1: because there's unfulfilled destiny that he didn't make it into glory. He's in glory, and for all eternity, he's going to have to carry the weight that, man, I shouldn't have checked out so early. God had great things for me, but you know what? He's still in glory. Can somebody say amen? Never under...
0: There's no reason to believe the fellow was a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Granted, his father believed that. (laughs) Wow.
1: Mate, the power of your faith. Number two. Number two. Number two. This is very powerful. Your praise delivers. Your praise delivers. Watch this. In Acts chapter 16, powerful story, Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and then they're thrown into prison where they're chained and shackled to a prison wall. Uh, the crime that they've committed is they cast a demon out of a young girl who was a slave girl that was bought by her masters because she was possessed with a spirit of sorcery and divination. So she could fortune tell, and these guys were making loads of money because she was pretty accurate. So when she kept piping off about, listen to these guys, and she kept, and so Paul said, you know, oh, he was fed. He says, come out of her. And so the demon came out, and then the, 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 the owners realized, hey, she, she's useless. She can't tell, you know, and so he so they, you know, they got friends with the magistrates, so they throw Paul and Silas into prison after they beat them with rods. The Bible says in the midnight hour, have a look at Acts chapter sixteen, says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want you to notice it doesn't say, and the prisoners joined in. It doesn't say the prisoners were singing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord. It doesn't say that. It says the prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas were praying and praising. The prisoners were listening. But watch this. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors. Not just the door over, Saul and Paul, over Paul and Silas. Saul and Paul and Silas Notice this is a descriptive text. Because he used to be Saul, now he's Paul. Paul and Silas. But not just their prison doors, all the doors were open and everyone's. Do you see that word? Everyone's chains were loosed. The people's listening, the skeptics, the atheists, the agnostics, Everyone's chains... Paul and Silas were doing the praising, but everybody benefited. The devil doesn't want you to believe the power of your praise when you oh, My
0: word This is demonic. I, th- th- I, th- I have no other words to describe what I'm hearing.
1: Come into the house of God, you better believe that your praise, when you start lifting up your praise, you better believe it impacts a person on your left, it impacts a person on your right, it impacts a person behind, somebody can be coming in, they can be beat down, they can be chained and shackled by the enemy, they can be in a prison of despair, they can be in a prison of hopelessness, anxiety, depression, they can be bound by an addiction and a habit, but just you beginning to lift your hands in praise, you'll find an atmosphere Begins to shift around them, where the chains begin to fall off them.
0: Prison: Atmosphere shiftings, yeah. Those are weird buzzwords, don't you think? Always begin to bust open. Never underestimate the power of your praise. Now, you need to understand that one of the... Th- yeah, my praise is so powerful, man. It, it's like, you know, a force to be contended with, rather than the one I praise. You'll learn at C3 is a thing called discernment. It's one of the nine... No, you will not learn that at C3. So the
1: spirit's called discernment of spirits. Because, you know, we've had people say, oh, you know, it's a young church. You know, well, God's young. God called Joshua a young man when he was 80. So God's version of youth... There are some people who are 20 and they're old. I'd rather be 80 and God calling me young. And so some people say, well, you know, oh, it's, it's, that, oh, that, you know, it's quite energetic, isn't it? Or oh, it's, it's got, got a little bit of hype, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's not hype. And absolutely, you better believe it's energetic. You better believe it's enthusiastic. I had one person come and go, that was an enthusiastic speech. Went, Thank you. Do you know the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word enthuseo? There's actually all the way through your New Testament, enthuseo means in God. If you're in God, it should be enthusiastic. That was quite inspirational. Inspirational just means in spirit. So when we get the word inspirational. And so you will find that there's a reason that our praise is up. There's a reason that we speak faith, hope, and love because we know there's an atmosphere, there's an environment that where the power of God moves. If, if I was to take uh, you know, a hairdryer and toss it into a swimming pool, everybody in that position would feel the power of the electricity. But if I was to build a wall in the middle made of solid rubber, it would it would act as a, because there's a certain environment, there's a certain atmosphere that the electricity needs. So same with the power of God. You need to understand that faith,
0: faith in an atmosphere, is, it just it electrifies the power of God. Mm-hmm. Which biblical text says that about faith electrifying atmospheres? Not familiar with that text. Melancholy doesn't do it. Depression doesn't do it. How deep can
1: I go? Sincerity doesn't do it. In America, we've preached the gospel of sincerity. We pray prayers that we think God will hear because of our sincerity. Now, absolutely, I'm not saying be insincere. God loves your sincerity, your your sincere heart, and God loves sincerity. God loves it, but it doesn't move him. The Bible says in the Gospel of James, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church to come and anoint him with oil, watch this, and pray over him, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Nowhere does it say the prayer of sincerity. The prayer of sincerity looks like this. Lord, we just ask that you would just look upon our affliction and just, just, if the word just is in your prayers, remove it.
0: Remove the word just. It's about the only thing I agree with here.
1: uh, uh, Because, listen, the spirit of just is, Lord, we just ask.
0: He's like, oh, what are you? Oh, all right. What is it? Like he's an intolerant.
1: Come
3: on. I don't have all day.
0: Really, that's how God responds to the prayer of his saints? He lives in eternity. There's no time.
1: He lives in eternity. He's not bound by time. He's not affected by time. He can go into yesterday and into tomorrow as, as he pleases. He's not bound by time. And he loves you. He has set his affection towards you. The Bible says he rejoices over you with singing. You better believe that you're praise. The reason we have this atmosphere is because we want people to walk in and leave different to the way they came in. We want them to walk in... We're carrying the weight of the world and the chains and the shack. But there's an atmosphere here where just something in the praise broke off. Man, I'm starting to think clearly. I'm starting to believe I can make this marriage. Man, alcohol seemed to lose its taste. I gave up cigarettes. Man, I feel like we're pregnant. There should be something in the atmosphere. Never underestimate the power of praise. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, powerful story. We don't have time to go through it all. But, but basically what, it, what has happened is Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah and Ammon and uh, Moab and Mount Seir, three, three nations, have come up and surrounded them. And God specifically said to Joshua when they crossed the promised land, don't fight against Ammon, don't fight against Moab because they are the descendants of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And so they were kind, they were very, very gracious to these to these tribes. Now these tribes have got together and they want to come and wipe out Israel and, and divide the, the spoils and divide the promised land. So Jehoshaphat goes before God and he says, God, we spared them. Now that they and so God says, just he says, You won't even need to fight in this battle. He says, This is what I want you to do. He says, Yeah, let all the men get prepared for war, but you won't have to fight. He says, put the musicians and the singers in the front. And I want you to just to get them to begin to praise God. Just get them to lift up praise. Because can I just tell you, God has a weapon for adversity and it's called praise. God has a weapon in, he has put a weapon in your quiver. He has put a weapon in your arsenal. He has put a weapon at your disposal for whatever crises, whatever adversity, whatever opposition you're
0: Apparently the weapon isn't God. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Not the one you're praising, it's your praise. It's not the one your faith believes in, it's your faith. This is so slick, it's so awful
1: whatever injustice you're facing it is called praise, praise is the weapon and the Bible says as the priests began to lift up praise as the musicians and the singers began to lift up praise, the Lord set ambushes amongst the enemies so that the Ammonites began to look on the Moabites and look on those from Mount Seir and they began to fight against each other and they began to kill each other so that by the time Israel came down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, when they came into the valley, they, they, they looked around and everybody was dead, there wasn't one still alive, they killed each other. A little guy gargling over here, and oh, yeah, he got him, you know. And they're like, He was already dead. Oh man, and they're already dead. Not only that, the Bible says this that, that on each person was spoil. So the children of Israel, the Bible says, raided their dead bodies, taking all the spoil, all the jewel, all the Rolex watches, all the kind of stuff. Because let me just tell you this, because I was reading it and going, oh, well, that's a little bit dark. And goes, like, what are you talking about, dark? He says, you better believe that when, when the enemy comes against my people, you better believe as they overcome that enemy.
0: Yeah, notice another claim of direct revelation regarding uh, this interpretation any
1: addiction, any temptation, whatever you overcome, you better believe that you don't overcome just to get to neutral. Uh-uh-uh. Whatever the devil has sinned against you, when you overcome, you better believe it has spoil. It has spoil attached to it because God at the very minimum will give you double for your trouble. That's the very minimum. God doesn't, God doesn't go any lower. It's not just restoration. It is double for your trouble. There was spoil attached to those dead bodies. So they called it They called it the Valley of Barakah. Barakah in the Hebrew is blessing. From now on, it was once where the enemies gathered. It was once where it looked hopeless. It was once where it looked looked like defeat was imminent, it once looked like it was going to be a day of mourning and tears and anguish and sorrow, but now whenever they walk past, oh that's the valley of blessing that's the valley of blessing, that's the valley, of, that's where God turned our enemies that were against us, where the Lord fought we didn't even need to lift a shield, we didn't need to lift a sword, the Lord fought for us and we came out of that, not only with victory, we went in with mourning, but we came out with dancing, we went in in hopelessness and despair, but we came out with victory and praise on our lives. We came out of there with blessing. I'm telling you, God has got blessing. Don't underestimate the power of your praise. Now, listen, the reason praise is so powerful is because there are some times you don't feel like praising
0: but coming to church. Again, yeah, it's not the God you're praising who's so powerful. Apparently, it's your praise itself into the house of God,
1: where there there are men and women who are assigned, who are anointed, who have dedicated, who have consecrated themselves this morning to get up here on this stage and begin to lift up the name of the Lord, begin to exalt God, you will find, the Bible says this, that the Lord inhabits, occupies dwells therein the praises of his people that's why when your praise goes up the presence of God comes down now the devil knows him against you he can whoop you anytime but when you start calling upon the name of the Lord when you start praising God the devil's like well, what are you doing what are you doing you got no reason to praise God I'm ruining your life I'm destroying your marriage I've got your kids addicted to heroin you got no reason to pray, just start praising anyway so, "Well, devil, devil, I, I don't praise God just when things are going well. I, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a sunshine lollipops praiser. Because the last time I checked, the Bible says, Psalm 29, the Lord sat enthroned in the flood. While well, Noah is 200-foot tidal waves in an ark, the Lord sat enthroned. His feet weren't even wet. God is still God. Just because my world is being rocked doesn't mean his power has diminished. But far be it from me, fooey, devil, if you think I'm going to back up and allow my circumstances, allow my flood, allow this addiction, allow this adversity to remove praise from, because I can't beat this thing. But if I just begin to praise the name of the Lord, if I just begin to exalt, if I begin to lift up my
0: praise to heaven, I create an elevator where the power of God can come down. Where'd you go, devil? Devil, where are you? I create an elevator where the power of God comes down. This is turning praise into magic. When you begin to praise God, do you know what happens? The devil knows he is no match
1: against the Almighty. The Bible says when Jesus walked, the demons recognized and began to shriek with fear. They began to scream, please don't torment her!'" They knew when Jesus was present. You better believe when God is present, the devil, tucks tails and runs. The greatest thing you and I can do is give some praise. Come on, right now, just take 10 seconds and just give God a praise. Give God a praise. Give God a praise for your breakthrough. Give God a praise right now. Come on, this week, greatest week of your life, this spring is going to be a spring where the seeds that you planted in winter are going to begin to flourish. They're going to come up out of the ground. You're going to have a harvest this summer. It's going to be the greatest year of your life. 2017, my greatest year, I will praise the name of the Lord. Come on, one more time. Give Him a shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our praise has power. Number three, your prayers bring breakthrough for others. Your prayers bring breakthrough for others. You know, I I love the story in 1 Kings 17 where the the Bible says the children of Israel were, were, were kind of tossed between two opinions. Baal the Lord. Baal the Lord. It's kind of almost a snapshot of where America is at. Vexed between two opinions. And Elijah comes and he says, well, if Baal is God, worship him. But if the Lord is God, worship him. Why don't we have a competition? Whichever God answers by fire, he's the true God. And all the people said, yeah, let's do it. Amen, amen. So the prophets of Baal went first. They put the bull on the altar and they started slashing themselves and chanting and there's blood flowing out because they're thinking if they, if they mutilate themselves, if they harm you can always tell a false religion because it damages people.
0: Yeah, this false doctrine you're preaching is definitely damaging people.
1: Requires your blood. Finally, they're finished. The Bible says there was no voice. There was no fire. The Bible says that Elijah called the people to draw near to him, and he began to repair the altar. He began to set the wood and the stones in order. set 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And just before he calls on the name of the Lord, he does something very powerful. He says, pour water on the sacrifice. They're like, well, you mean kerosene? He's like, no, no, pour water. They're like, no, we're trying to get fire. You're trying to get fire, water and fire. No Nomas. He's like, no, no, water. Oh, you mean gasoline? Not gasoline, water. Why water? Why, why would you, if you're trying to get fire, why water? Because it's been a drought. The heavens have withheld rain. In a drought where there's been no rain, water is the most precious commodity. And Elijah knows that God is not drawn to sincerity. He's drawn to sacrifice.
0: Oh, man, this is so blasphemous. I covered this twisting of God's word during the Code Orange revival when Levi Lusco tried to pass this lie off. Keep in mind, it's less than a mile from the Mediterranean Sea to Mount Carmel. Where do you think they got the water from?
1: The first offering we read in the Bible was Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Cain brought some of the fruit and the vegetables from the ground, gave them to the Lord. No
0: sacrifice. No blood in it. Abel That's weird. The Mosaic covenant permits grain offerings. Yeah. Read your Bible. Scripture is very clear. The difference was that Abel had faith. Cain did not.
1: (coughs) Takes one of the little lambs from the flock. (coughs) and He brings the lamb. The Bible says the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but didn't respect Cain and his offering.
0: It said, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord had no regard for Cain and his offering. One had faith, the other didn't. The Lord didn't have any regard for Cain. The Lord had regard for Abel, who had faith. Read Hebrews 11.
1: I don't like C3. They talk about money. I grew up in an atheist home. I didn't have the privilege of growing up in church. So when I got saved and God began to just, hey, what are you doing? It's my wallet. Hey, that's my salary. Whoa, get you, that's my wage. What do you think you got? Oh, you do think you're God. I began to find that God, and all right, and then I'd try and keep. well, I'm not tithing off the gross. I'm just tithing off net. And I found, I found that over the years, the times where God has moved most powerfully in my life is where there's been some blood in the offering. It's where there's been some sacrifice in the offering.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you want them to sacrifice in their offerings. That'll definitely help you out, Jurgen.
1: Elijah says, pour water on the bull. Say, so pour water on it. He says, do it a second time. They're like, it's a drought. It's a drought. Didn't you see the news? If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's bright, flush it down. It's like, you know, conserve water. So they're pouring water on a second time. It's like, yeah, you've got to do it a a third time. And so they pour the water a third time. Elijah prays once fire comes down from heaven licks up the water consumes the bull and the entire nation falls on its face and says the Lord he is God the Lord he is God then Elijah executes the prophets of Baal. As soon as he gets rid of the prophets of Baal, the Bible says this, that he begins to hear in the spirit the sound of an abundance of rain. God, God wasn't just dealing with the idolatry and the false worship and the wickedness of the prophets of Baal under Jezebel in the nation. He, he, was, he was going to restore everything. And so Elijah then goes back up to Mount Carmel and he begins to pray. He begins to, to, the Bible says he bows himself on the ground and he begins to pray and he sends his servant. He says, Go and look for a sign. And the servant runs down. He looks at the ocean and sees nothing. He comes back, says there's nothing. Elijah prays and sends him a second time. Nothing. Elijah prays again, sends him a third time. Nothing. Elijah is now bent and contorted in prayer. He's praying. He says, go now. He goes a fourth time. Nothing.
0: Fifth time. Really? You have Elijah praying in tongues? Yeah. And that wasn't even tongues. Tongues are another human language. He's kind of just kind of
1: walking and... You know, looking at stuff, and you know, and nothing, and nothing. Are you sure you're hearing from God? And Elijah prays a fifth time, nothing. Prays a sixth time, nothing. I like Elijah because he prayed until he saw with his eyes what he heard in the spirit. He sends him a seventh time, he, and now the now oh, Gehazi is like, man, a seventh time, you can't. Whoa he comes running back he says Elisha Elisha I saw a cloud rising up out of the ocean but it's just un poquito it's just it's a tiny it's just the size of a man's hand and Elisha who's in prayer looks up and says run run before you get to the palace the clouds will fill the sky and the drought is going to break That was the breakthrough. That was the shift. It may have been small. It may have been little. But don't underestimate the power of your prayer. Once that prayer penetrates, once there's a crack in the dam.
0: Not the power of the God you're praying to, but the power of your prayer. Uh Uh-huh.
1: You better believe the waters are about to flow. The Bible says before they made it to the palace, the rain came down. It was a downpour. It was a drought-breaking rain one man's prayers on a mountain an entire nation benefited an entire nation had water on their crops, all the flock all the cattle, all the horses all the sheep, all the animals began to drink water again because of one man up on a mountaintop don't underestimate the power of your prayers, the devil will lie to you he'll say God is not listening he'll say you're not righteous enough, you're not good enough do you really, oh come on, really your prayers, I'm telling you your prayers have the power to say Get other people free. Other people benefit. Other people have breakthrough because of your prayers. Somebody say amen. Amen. I don't even have time to go into that story. Oh, my time is gone. How could I do it in the 830 and ruin it here? All right, I've got to give you the last two really quickly. Number four, you're prophetic.
0: You're prophetic. Yeah, that's weird. First Corinthians 12 says, not all are prophets. Atmospheres or creates opportunities for others. Your, pro- Your prophetic creates opportunities and atmospheres for others. R- really, do you have a biblical text for that?
1: Prophetic shifts atmospheres or creates opportunities for others. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha releases a word of the Lord. Samaria is besieged by famine, but Elisha releases the word of the Lord. By this time tomorrow, two seers of wheat will be sold for a shekel. To see as a flower will be sold for a shekel. The man on whose arm the king leaned, Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding. It represents human wisdom, human understanding. He says, how can this be? Even if God was to make windows in heaven, this could never be. So Elisha says, really? I just spoke to you the word of the Lord. You'll see it, but you won't taste it. There are four lepers sitting at the entrance of the gate. They were sitting at the gate. The gate in the Bible speaks of marketplaces, speaks of transactions, it's a place of commerce.
0: Yeah, speaks of marketplaces. So there's a shifting in the marketplace because of the lepers who, uh uh-huh, yeah.
1: They're lepers. They can look, but they can't participate because they're ostracized because of the leprosy. They're disqualified.
0: Not only that, but they're they're sitting in a gate of commerce maybe before they were lepers. Notice each of these stories. He's not actually reading the biblical text. He's summarized them in his own way to make his own points. But this sermon jumped the track in the first few minutes.
1: Maybe they were stockbrokers. Maybe they were engineers. Maybe, maybe, maybe they had understanding in the transactions, of, but they couldn't participate because of their lepros state. But because the word of the Lord was spoken, they did not
2: hear. They were not privy to the word, but they felt a shift. Where does it say they felt a shift?
0: Q sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, yeah.
1: a shift. So the four lepers said one to another, they said, hey, why sit here till we die? If we remain here, we die. If we go into the city, we die. Why don't we go down to the enemy's camp? What's the worst that can happen? They kill us, we'll only die. But who knows? Who knows what the Lord's got? So they get up, four leprous men, And they go down to the enemy camp, and the Bible says that that was all that God needed.
0: That was all that God needed. God didn't need any of that. God did not need the leprous men. In fact, when you read the story, they had nothing to do with the miracle. The miracle was proclaimed by God through his prophet, and God didn't need no lepers to make it happen. This is Unbelievable. The Bible says the Lord literally magnified the f- sound of their footsteps.
1: No, it doesn't. Read the text. So the Syrian army who were in the camp, when they heard these guys walking on the gravel, <laughs> the Bible says the, the, they heard the sound of what they thought was a mighty army coming, and so they fled in fear. They fled in, and they left the tents full of spoil. So that these four lepers go back to the king and they come down and they bring all the stuff and it breaks. It changes the economic status because of a word that was prophesied. Let me just tell you this at C three, like we're all about getting people saved. But you'll notice at our church it's it's not just about getting people saved. I, you, you know, we, we, we get saved and then, then we serve on a team so we can get other people saved. Absolutely. At C3, we, we don't want you just to get saved. We, we want to see your friends and your family and your neighbors and everyone saved. But you'll find that that's not the, the ceiling either. You'll find that at this church, we want you to be filled with a supernatural power. The, the nine gifts of the Spirit that you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that only point to Jesus. It's Jesus in you.
0: Yeah, that's weird. You haven't pointed to Jesus this whole sermon.
1: Those nine gifts we want those flowing through. We want to teach you. We want to teach you how to get filled with the Spirit. Paul says, "Above all, desire that you may prophesy."
2: Proph- yeah,
0: the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians twelve literally asks, "Are all apostles? No. May Pontas prophetoi are all prophets? No." This guy is literally lying to these people, and he has been since the beginning of this so-called sermon.
1: There's two types of prophecy, and I I need to finish, but let me be quick. The first type of prophecy is I hear something from heaven, and I speak what I heard. That means God gave me a revelation, and I declare what I heard. No matter how impossible it is, I speak it, and the word goes out. But I've got to tell you, that that one I probably use, I get maybe 25% of the time.
0: You get it. Oh, he's a prophet. 75%
1: 75% of the time when I prophesy, because the Bible says you can all prophesy.
0: Y- y- no, actually, it does not. 75%
1: of the time, I haven't got a rhema. I just have a logos. And what I do is I take the word and I look at my marriage or I look at my family or I look at my kids. I, uh, I look at my finances. I look at the vision in front of me. And when that in front of me doesn't line up with this.
0: Pointing to the Bible.
1: I introduce this. I introduce this because nothing's more powerful than this. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word... Oh, I need it.
0: My word... and Yeah, the problem is you're making void the word of God by twisting it the way you have been. Forever. So what I do
1: is I just speak the word. I just prophesy the word.
0: Speak it. It's one thing to read it. You're turning the Bible into a book of magic spells. One thing to believe it, another thing to meditate on it,
1: but the power of it isn't released until you speak it. How many people know that it was God's will that there would be light in the universe? It was God's will, but it didn't happen until he spoke it. Even though it was his will, even though it was his purpose, his desire,
0: God had to say, let there be light. God had to say, wow, the blasphemy here is off the chain. And then light was. It didn't happen until it was released
1: through the spoken word. You and I have the power to prophesy. But you need to understand that when you prophesy, when you prophesy, you set something into the atmosphere that other people drink from, other people will feed on, other people will benefit on, just because of the you factor. Just because of the you factor. I'm out of time.
0: Thank God. Just because of the you factor. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Um, that had nothing to do with Jesus. I guess Jesus isn't a factor at all. It's just all about you. That was magic. That was not sound doctrine. That was blasphemy, not what Christ would have us believe. Wow, was that bad from start to finish? Unbelievable. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition. Or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.